Claire, uh, let's read from Philippians 2 verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father he has served me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill nearly to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honour such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Well, as we uh, look at this passage together, can I lead you in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Uh, Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you that we can hear it now in our homes as we meet in this way. And we pray that you would speak into our lives, into our hearts. We pray that you would work in us and amongst us by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Well, friends, in our culture, who are the people that we honour and applaud? I think we, uh, we honour the bright and the successful, uh, the person who's school ducks, uh, those who win scholarships. We honour people who achieve great things. If you can think of uh, Nobel Prize winners, or those who make it onto the New Year's Honours list. We honour particularly the glamorous, the beautiful, the sporty, the successful. We love winners. And so you can think, uh, for example, of the Oscars, or the Olympics, or the AFL Hall of Fame. Now, because, uh, because our culture and our world loves success, it means that many of us are actually constantly trying to climb that honour ladder. We're trying to do better, get better grades, look better, achieve more, have more, a better house, a better home. Uh, we, we want to climb up this ladder that brings honour and significance. And yet the sobering reality is most of us won't get very far up that ladder. Now, try as we might to be beautiful and successful, most of us won't be honoured as particularly famous or heroic. But while the world might not honour us, the king of the world just might. And that's because God has an altogether different honour system. In his hall of fame are 
people who would be completely overlooked in our culture. And we meet two such people at the end of this chapter, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And as we look at them, what we see in the way that they're honored, I think is tremendously encouraging and also pretty challenging. But first, if we're to understand why these two men are honored, we've got to look at what was at the beginning of uh, Philippians chapter two. Look again at verses three and four. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. <laughs> what, what a call that is. A call to prefer the interests of others, to look away from yourself and look to others, to forgo your own ambition and want the absolute best for other people. That's really a call to self-forgetfulness. And it seems to me most of us aren't very good at self-forgetfulness. We, we are very self-conscious people a lot of the time. I don't know how it is with you, but if, if you're in a group photo, you know, a photo perhaps of your church or the school, a large group of people, and then you see that photo printed or on screen, who is the first person you look for? Very often, isn't it ourselves? I go and I look, where, where am I? And then I see this tiny little face in a sea of other faces and I go, oh, yuck. We're just so conscious, so self-conscious of how, how we come across. We're very often thinking about, am I okay? What do other people think of me? Is this all right? We're extremely self-conscious. We're not very self-forgetful. And yet the gospel calls us to be self-forgetful. Why is that? Quite simply because we were saved by the greatest act of self-forgetfulness ever. This was the very heart and mind of Jesus Christ himself. And we're called to the same mindset. It says that in verse 5. Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And it goes on to describe the mind, the heart of Jesus Christ. He left the glory of his father. He abandoned that. He humbled himself. He was born in lowliness and poverty. He suffered in this world. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The most ignoble, dishonorable death known at the time. He descended and then God exalted him. God lifted him up. God gave him the highest honor, gave him the name that is above every name. You see, he saved us by being self-forgetful, self-sacrificial, self-given. And the gospel now calls us to the same pattern. This is the shape of Christian living. It's down and then up, humbled and exalted. It's actually descending the ladder and leaving it to God to lift us up. And so at the end of the chapter, Paul gives snapshots 
of two people who lived self-forgetful lives. Two quite different pictures, and I think two absolutely fascinating pictures. One is a picture of godly concern, and the other is a picture of honorable risk. And we're going to have a look at both those snapshots. First of all, godly concern. Paul wanted to send Timothy to the Philippian church. He'd love to have been able to go himself, but he is actually in prison and he's unable to go. And so he wants to send Timothy. Why Timothy? Well, one thing made Timothy a standout. You see it there in verse 21 and 22. He says about other people, or verse 20, sorry, he says, I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. Timothy stood out because of his genuine concern for other people and for the church of the Lord Jesus. It's kind of this damning statement, isn't it? Everyone else seems to look to their own interests, but not Timothy. He has a heart for other people. The word that Paul uses here when he says he has a genuine concern for you is, is really fascinating. You could just as easily translate it, a genuine worry, a genuine anxiety for you. The, the Bible makes it clear that there's a, there's a kind of worry and anxiety that, it's, that is wrong. We're not actually meant to worry about food and clothing or even our future. We're to trust God for those things. But here the same word is used because there's a right kind of concern and worry and anxiety. We should be worried, we are deeply concerned about other people and about the church of the Lord Jesus. That's like the concern of a parent who's, who's worried, burdened about their child. Your kid's making bad choices, going off the rails a bit, hanging out the wrong kind of people, making some dodgy choices morally. How do you feel as a parent? You're, you're deeply worried. You're, you're very concerned about that. Your heart aches. You're, you're burdened about where your child is at. That's not wrong. That's love. And Timothy was like that. His deep concern wasn't his grades, uh, his looks, his investment portfolio, his holiday plans. His big concern was the church of the Lord Jesus and other people. Timothy's honoured, but he's not honoured for preaching cracker sermons or writing books or having three zillion followers on Facebook. He's honored because of his love for people and his genuine heart for the church. And in a selfish world, that was a standout performance. I wonder what your heart concerns are. Are they largely about you or about other people? Are the things that burden you, 
your stuff or God's stuff? That's a pretty challenging question for us to ask, but I also know, I'm very sure that many of you in the hub right now have a very deep concern for your church. You, you feel deeply for this church. You love the hub. You love the people. You, you feel deeply for Phil and for Jude and for the elders and for the core team who have established this church. And friends, if you have thrashed this and wrestled with it and wept and agonized and brainstormed, that is a godly concern. That is a right heart that reflects the very heart of Jesus Christ. And for many of you, I'm sure that is nothing new. That's how you've been for years. You've had a heart for this church and for its people and for its ministry. And I want to say to you from God's word this morning, God honours that. And you can now channel that deep concern that you have for the church in, in a right direction. Channel it into your love for one another, into supporting each other, to encouraging each other, to praying together, to wrestling and dreaming and brainstorming and thinking and grieving together. What, whatever it is, you can now channel that heart that you have for people and for the church into things that truly honour the Lord. And for those things, he lifts you up and honours you. That's, that's the first beautiful picture, challenging and yet so encouraging, the picture of godly concern. But now, just as Paul wants to send Timothy to the Philippians, he also wants to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. And so we come to the second picture uh, in this chapter. The first picture was one of godly concern. The second is a picture of honourable risk. Now, there are lots of uh, Bible names that have been growing in popularity over recent years. But I don't yet know any little kids called Epaphroditus. Uh, for, those of, so for those of you who are expecting, there's a little thought. Um, maybe a little Epaphroditus would be a great idea. And you could abbreviate it, you know, Pappy, or um, being Australians, I guess we'd say Papo. Uh, just a little suggestion from God's word. Now, the Philippians had sent Pappy to Paul to minister to him. To him. Paul is in prison. He's suffering for the gospel. They had sent Pappy to help him and support him and encourage him, and they had sent a gift with him. And in many ways, Philippians is a thank you letter uh, for that gift. But you don't have to do much reading between the lines here to see that things went pretty badly wrong. First up, Epaphroditus got sick. Actually, he got really sick, almost to the point of death. 
the church heard that he was sick and they were worried about him. Epaphroditus heard that the church was worried sick about him and he worried about them. He was longing to see them. And so he's not only sick, but now he's homesick as well. He, he'd been sent to help Paul, but clearly he'd become a liability to him. And Paul is now saying in these verses, look, I've, I've come to see, it's really going to be best if I send him back. That'll be good for him. It'll be good for you. And to be honest, he says, it'll be good for me. He'll be less anxious if Epaphroditus just goes home. The, the bottom line is that this whole mission had failed. A kind of nice try, but this was a bit of a disaster. That's the bottom line. Or is it? <laughs> is that really the bottom line? Actually, if you read these verses, you see that that is not the bottom line at all. He's not being sent back as a failure, but more like a hero. How are they to receive him? Verse 29 says, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honour such men. Honour him and honour other people like him. Paul says. In fact, Paul himself honors Epaphroditus throughout this passage. Look at verse 25. He calls him my brother, my fellow worker, my fellow soldier, your messenger. The word is, is actually like your apostle, your sent one, your minister to my needs. Paul is honouring this man greatly. And he honours him not for the success or otherwise of his mission, but for his heart. He had laid his life on the line to help and serve someone else. He'd served at great personal cost. He'd put himself at risk to help others. He'd nearly died in the cause of Christ. He did all he could. And that is truly honourable. When I was at school, which is now a very long time ago, we used to get these little short school reports that basically just had two lines. The top line was, achievement and it was done in grades a b c d e and the bottom line was attitude and effort how hard you tried so the top line is how well you done the bottom line was one two three four five i uh, i wasn't very academic when i was at school and i used to get grades like d one which meant he tried really, really hard and put in a great effort, but he failed. I found grades like D1 uh, hugely discouraging, but my parents would always try to put a different spin on it. And they would say to me, Murray, 
to us, it's the bottom line that counts. It's how much you've put in. It's how much you've tried. We don't really care too much about the top line. Now, that's a hard sell to a kid, but it's absolutely right. And that is exactly what God does. Our world keeps looking at the top line. What have you achieved? How far up the ladder are you? And God is looking at the heart. He's looking at our, our effort and our love for others and our investment in the lives of other people. That's why Paul maps this very different paradigm here. And he does so because it's the way of Christ. This is the way of Jesus. But the life of Jesus wasn't exactly a success story. He was born in poverty. He gathered around him a small group of disciples who were kind of nobody people, really. And then toward the end of his life, they basically abandoned him. One denied him, another betrayed him. And Jesus was sentenced to death. Death on a cross. But as we saw before, God then exalted him. God raised him up to the highest place and gave, gave him the name that is above every name. And God actually, through his dissension, his humility, achieved the redemption of our souls and the saving of this world. Friends, when I think about you, and when I look at the heart, I see men and women and families who for the sake of Christ have taken honourable risks. I see people who have given it their all. People who have laid it all on the line. People who have laid their lives and their livelihoods on the line. I see people who have served and suffered and sacrificed. I see gospel soldiers, gospel laborers, gospel workers. And irrespective of the outcomes, the Bible says, honor such people. Phil, if it's possible for me right now to look you in the eye, I say this with all my heart. I honour you for all that you have poured into the hub and done to serve and love and with Jude and the kids sacrifice for the cause of the gospel. And to all of you who have been part of this journey, you have taken the most honourable risks. You've, you've done some of the most beautiful things. You've served with a heart that reflects the heart of Jesus Christ. And this passage says, God's word says, we are to honour such people.
it's interesting actually that our culture does honor such people as well. We honor the Anzacs, don't we? We honor returned servicemen and servicewomen because we recognize that actually there's nothing more noble, there's nothing more honorable than laying down your life to serve another. In our most sober moments, we we realize that an unnamed soldier is more of a hero than an Oscar winner. Well, friends, here are two pictures, godly concern and honorable risk. And they're both pictures, as we've seen, that reflect the person of greatest honor. These two pictures are just faint reflections of the very heart and mind and attitude of Jesus Christ, who in the greatest godly concern came into our world to save us, and who in the most honorable risk ever laid down his life to redeem this world. And we will grow in our godly concern and we'll grow in honourable risk-taking as we fix our eyes on Jesus, as we dwell on him, as we remember what he did for us, and as we remember where he now is, that God has exalted him and given him the highest place and the highest name that all of us might bow the knee before him and confess that Jesus is Lord. Shall we pray together? Lord God, we thank you that you map a completely different honour system we thank you that it's not about worldly success and ambition, but it's about forgetting ourselves and loving and serving others. Father, I want to thank you for Phil and Jude and for the elders and the core team and the men and women and families of the harbour. Thank you for those who have served and loved and given and sacrificed and poured their hearts into this ministry. Lord God, thank you that you honour such people. And we pray that at this time, our eyes might be turned more and more to Jesus, who gave his life for us, and who is now seated in the highest place, and who has been given the highest name. And so turn our hearts, turn our minds toward him, and in him, give us hope and joy and peace. We ask this in his precious name. Amen.